have a question for you, probably relatable. Have you ever made a promise that you then regretted later on? Oh, yes. <laughs> many, many promises I have made. As I was listening to the uh, presentation about ADHD, I was like, you know what? I, what my thing, if, if I have it, my thing is that I would fill up my calendar like that immediately, right? Google Calendar in college changed my life because before that, what I would do is I would promise to be here and then promise to be there and promise to be over yonder all at the same time. And I am not omnipresent, right? I, so what I would do, I'd realize like, oh, I would make a promise. I'm going to be there. I'm going to do whatever it is you're asking me to do. And then I would regret it later on, right? Why do we regret things? Because usually our situations change, right? There was this one time, um, like I said, just I promised somebody uh, at Southern, they were flying in. They said, hey, would you be willing to pick me up from the airport? I said, yeah, Chattanooga? They said, no, Atlanta. It's about a two-hour drive, but in reality, with Atlanta traffic, it's about a 12-hour, I'm kidding, it's about a three-hour drive. That's just the reality. Like, Google Maps is lying to you, right, if it says two hours. I, uh, in my mind, like, this is going to be a good idea. And I promised I would be there. So they were fully relying on me to get them back to school. However, my situation changed. I realized, oh man, I have a lot of homework due the next day. And so now I have a choice to make. Do I be that guy? Hey, I'm not going to be able to get there. Uber. Like, <laughs> or do I sacrifice you know, my time and say, well, I promise I'd be there six hours round trip. I'll be okay. We'll figure it out. Well, what I did is I, uh, I picked them up. But the reality is the entire time I was like, what am I doing? I was like stressed. I have all this stuff to do. I regretted my decision. During the pandemic and like as we were coming out of it, there was in a situation like that, what I learned, I didn't do this. I didn't do this, but I learned there was this just get out of jail free card. Right? When you realize, man, I, I, I have something to do. I made a promise to do it, but now I don't really want to do it. I said, well, you know, those COVID numbers are getting a little high. And nobody would question you. It was great. <laughs> right? Uh, some of you are laughing like, oh, he's on to me. Right? No, I know about you. <laughs> Here's the thing. We, situations change. The promises you said you would make, you may Become regretful that you made that promise. Uh, we read today, or the, the kids were taught today, about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, that entire story, is only in the Bible because of a promise between David and Jonathan. So let's flip over to 1 Samuel. We're going to read about that promise this morning. So Turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. And we are going to be 
picking this story up in verse 14. Verse 14. So 1 Samuel 20, 14, while you're flipping, I'm going to give you guys some context, right? Uh, There are characters in any story. Right now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this guy called David, right? So David was the anointed king, right? So there was Saul, who was the king already, and we just heard that Saul didn't know how to act, okay? He broke all his promises to God. Mind you, promises are important, right? In the Bible, we call them promises. We call them covenants, right? Saul broke that promise with God. And so God said, well, forget you then. I will give the kingdom to somebody else. And so he sent Samuel out. He found David. David wasn't really like the most presentable looking guy. He had older brothers, stronger brothers, but God sought him out. Samuel anointed him. And then imagine this, right? Then you know the story of David and Goliath, where Saul, who should have been the one leading that fight, was too scared to continue to to, to fight. I mean, (laughs) it was like uh, Andrew and I, right? It's like me trying to fight Andrew. I would not have survived, right? Right? It wouldn't have happened. And so Saul was like, well, I'm not going. I value my life. And there was this whole thing where David walks in and says, what's going on? And so he ends up defeating Goliath. So Saul has to like kind of save face. So he brings him into the household, right? And the story progresses. But the whole time Saul knows that this is the guy here to undermine me. And so Saul snaps, right? He snaps. And so David just minding his own business, living his life. You know, David knew, yeah, someday I'm going to be the king, but he's not trying to do anything just now, but Saul loses his mind. He tries to kill David a few times. And so that's David, right? The future king, okay? Living in the household of a, of a king who wants him dead, but David had a friend, right? This is another character in the story, Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of Saul who, if he had to choose, do I choose my dad or do I choose David, would choose David, right? And Saul didn't really like that either. And so David and Saul begin this beautiful friendship, one of the best examples of friendship in the entire scriptures. And so now we're going to pick it up here. Chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14. What's going on here is that David is saying, listen, I'm pretty sure your dad is going to kill me. Let's test it to find out. And so Jonathan says this to David, if they have to part ways Verse 14 says this, may you, oh, and this this morning I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so it might look a little different in your version, but so just keep that in mind. Verse 14 says, and may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as you treat me with uh, the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. Right here. And David agrees to it, right? David agrees to that. We keep going. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. A promise, right? A promise David, remember me, but if I die, 
remember my kids. Right? Your kids are important to you. Parents, fathers, right? Your kids are important to you. Amen, right? Here's the thing. Kids were very important back then because that was your lineage. It was your future. It was your line. And and especially in a royal family, wow, like you want to have your kids live on. It was, it was, it was as if you were living on forever and ever too. And especially in this culture, a culture steeped in like, man, like Father Abraham had many sons, like I'm trying to do that too. It was important. So, so Jonathan, if I die, remember my kids. Now, here's the thing. Jonathan is smart enough to know that that's not common practice. Many of you maybe know if you've like, you know, if you watch the History Channel, you'll know what common practice is if a king, if a dynasty is ever overthrown, which is what this was, right? David was not family, so he was taking over. What do you do? You clean house. Back then, you literally, you'd kill people, right? So Jonathan is like, I'm asking you to promise me to break the norm. Remember my kids and show them, it says in here, the faithful love of the Lord, Your version might say something different, but all of your versions say something different than the original Hebrew. We've talked about this word before. That word for the faithful love of the Lord, it's hard to translate it in English. It's hard to translate it in Spanish or any language the Bible is translated into. It's a Hebrew word pronounced hesed, hesed love. It's a love that like we don't possess, right? That's why it's always equated the faithful love of the Lord. It's a love that only God has. It's a promised love, right? A love that says, no matter, and my favorite verse of all time, Romans 8, 38, 39, there is nothing you could ever do to separate you from the love of Christ Jesus, right? You can reject it, but that love that he has for you stays the same. In our relationships today, I love you. But if you go and, and slash my tires, I might not love you. Things change. <laughs> Promises change. I love you, but if I found out that you stole from me, I might not love you the same anymore because we're human. And so Jonathan is not only saying, hey, just remember me because we're friends, but remember my family the way the Lord remembers you. This is a special love. Remember my kids with the love of the Lord. A covenant was made there that day. A covenant is a promise. And Jonathan knew what the common practice was. So he's asking his dear friend to not do those things. 2 Samuel 4. Let's jump over there. We're going to read about... uh, Well, we're going to read about Jonathan's sons, right? Or one of his sons. So, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's almost prophetic, right? When Jonathan says to David, but if I die. Because in between that conversation and the story we are about to read, Saul, again, made many incorrect choices. We'll just put it like that. 
And he ends up <clears throat> dying on the battlefield, same as Jonathan, right? It says that when, when, when David found out that he was just des- destroyed, heartbroken, right? Because that was his friend. <clears throat> that was his good friend. And so let's see what happens in the aftermath of that. So 2 Samuel 4, it says this, uh, 4 verse 4. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son, Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled, but as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. I have to imagine about Mephibosheth, there was a time, it says that he was five before all of this happened, right? Five years old is a time when kids soak up stories and memories, right? A lot of the core memories kids have are starting to happen at this age. I have to imagine that Jonathan would have gathered his kids up, right, and would have brought them together and told stories. And I, again, have to imagine that David would have popped up at some point in that story. My good friend David, when we were doing all that fun stuff, and we were out in the field, and he made a promise. You know David, and I know the kid would know David because Saul knew David, and Saul was trying to get this guy. So as grandpa is showing all these evil things, David this, David that, Jonathan comes in and is like, well, dad doesn't really know David. You know why? David, right, is going to take care of you. Because he made me a promise. So, he's five. The nurse doesn't maybe know that. And so when everything goes down, she picks him up, makes a mistake. He's crippled for the rest of his life. But maybe, maybe in the back of his mind, he's saying, I don't even know. Like, David, according to dad, David doesn't seem so bad. Here's the thing, though. The story, chapter 4, continues. Verse 5 says this. One day, Rechab and Baana, the sons of Rimon from Berioth, went to Ishbosheth's house around noon as he was taking his midday rest. Ishbosheth is Saul's son, right? He's in the family, okay? He's in the family. Mephibosheth knows, well, David made a promise to remember the family. Ishbosheth's own captains, get this, his, the people he trusted while he was sleeping, they go and kill him, they take his head, and they bring it to David. Imagine Mephibosheth hearing this story. Oh my word, dad was wrong and grandpa is right. Because for him, the story stops there. If you keep reading on, you learn that when David received the head of Ishbosheth, he was furious and ended up actually killing the guys who killed, right? Uh, uh, Ishbosheth. Mephibosheth doesn't know that. All he knows is that, uh uh-oh, my uncle was alive one second, and the next thing I know, David has his head. So the nurse was right. 
Grandpa was right. I need to lay low. And so he does for years and years and years and years. Imagine the fear instilled into a five-year-old that I could, I could be next. At five years old, that becomes ingrained into who you are, a fear of David. Because that's, he didn't know the rest of the story the way we know. And so when we get to Second uh, Samuel chapter 9, when it says, verse 1, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And then he summoned Ziba, and Ziba lets him know, yeah, there's uh, Mephibosheth, and he's living here at this place, and he should be around this old, and he's crippled. And then the word goes out for Mephibosheth to be brought to David. Imagine the fear. The cold sweat, right? The, the, the hair that would stand up on the back of your neck like, uh-oh, I got found out. I would be, man, I would be scared. I don't know about you, but I would definitely be scared. Why? The common practice. You get rid of every family member that could potentially have a claim to the throne you just took. It's not personal, it's just business, right? But at the end of the day, I'm still the one dying, so I'm nervous, and so he gets there, right? He gets there, and um, you need to know something else about David, right? They say David was a man after God's own heart. I believe that. But we know that David wasn't perfect, right? One of the, one of the kids up here was talking just r- briefly about uh, David and Bathsheba, that David was wrong for that. And he was right, right? This, this young man was right. David was wrong for that. David wasn't perfect, right? He definitely wasn't. There is a short, you can almost just overlook it, that David had prejudices, right? He had a prejudice against people who were crippled or lame or blind who had a disability. If you don't believe me, just flip the page over. We're going to be in chapter 5, 2 Samuel 5, verse 6 through 8. says, David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, you'll never get in here. Even the blind and lame could keep you out, for the Jebusites thought they were safe. But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. Verse 8, on that day of the attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame and blind Jebusites. Whoever attacks them should strike by going into the city through the water tunnel, blah, 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 all of that. But it says, the blind and lame may not enter the house. That saying came because of that. David wasn't a fan, right? So let's think, right? We'll go back. Oh, I made a promise to Jonathan, right? I'm going to show kindness to him. And yeah, he lives here. He has a son here. But guess what, king? He's crippled and he's not a fan right? There is a practice, right? It's been uh, hinted at, you think, even in like the royal family in England and all this stuff. When somebody of, of, of lineage like this 
right, has some sort of disability or disadvantage or something like that, a lot of times, even in modern times, that child gets pushed down, 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 right? Same thing here. Let's say, right, that Jonathan had survived and everything. As much as Jonathan probably loved this kid, they probably would have pushed that down, especially in this culture, in this context, because there was a sentiment among the people that, well, either the kid sinned or his parents sinned, and it was just like a, it wasn't a nice thing. So especially a royal family would try to pretend that maybe Mephibosheth didn't even exist, right? And if David already has that kind of like prejudice against them, then well, (laughs) it's going to happen again. And so it says, but he made a promise to show the kindness of the Lord, the love of the Lord to Jonathan's kids. And so that's what happens, right? We continue on in the story, and it says that um, when Mephibosheth arrives, David shows him that kindness, right? He says, you will eat at my table. Not only that, I'm going to give you back your land. David didn't have to do that. Not even close. David, I mean, just by letting him come in and not killing him, people would have been like, wow, that's a pretty nice king. But he takes it a step further. Then you get to eat at my table with my kids. Wow, this is a really, really nice king. And on top of that, I'm going to give you back everything that I took from you. Wow, this is the kindness of the Lord. It says that David was a man after God's own heart. The title of the sermon today, you see it on the, on the bulletin, is, is um, Love, Kindness, and Restoration. And you know what? That is embodied in this story. You see, David had love for Jonathan, right? And in that love, promises were made. And love is a verb, it is a choice, especially this chesed love. God chose you, right? He chose me. When we break the promises, when we're not faithful, he remains faithful. He chooses you. David had a choice. Let's be honest. David could have found out, oh, you know, well, Jonathan's not even here, so he wouldn't even know. I could And it would have been the politically correct thing to do, to wipe out Mephibosheth. But he didn't do that. He remained faithful. He chose to remain faithful, right? Same thing when he found out he was crippled. Well, Jonathan's not here. He has nothing to say about it. It's also a politically correct thing to do. I could wipe this guy out, and no one would blink an eye, but he chose to remain faithful to his promises. David shows kindness to the descendants of uh, Jonathan. And that kindness, the story continues on, that kindness kept Mephibosheth close to David. The story doesn't, Mephibosheth's story doesn't just end here. It goes on later where this, this guy named Ziba, the one who uh, David asked him to go and find Mephibosheth and all this, this guy Ziba was pretty corrupt, tried to lie, right, and say Mephibosheth's out to get you, he's doing this and that, and really it was Ziba the whole time, right? But In that kindness that received him in, it kept Mephibosheth close to David, right? It kept people in. I have this thought about kindness, right? And I 
I love this church, right? I, I have, and I'm, I speak corporately, right, about like all Adventism. I speak about the Florida Conference, and then I speak specifically about this church. I love this church, right? We, every church, every single church you walk into, right, and you, if you've never been, you ask somebody, what is this church like? Well, they'll say something to the effect of, we are a loving and kind church. Are you? Where does kindness really, like, where, do, where does it stop? Right? You, and they might be right, well, we're kind because we meet people at the door and we shake their hand and we show them where to sit and then we stop. Right? There was, there was a woman here, here, uh, who came to this church. Finally, one day, she approached me, says, hey, I want to transfer my membership. We moved in from out of state. Right? And, uh, like me, you know, just feeling like I need to say something, I said, oh, you're going to love it here. We are a kind and loving church, right? And I told her all the things that, you know, everybody will greet you and they'll talk to you. They make you feel nice. They, they'll, they'll show up at your house. And I recognize, well, I'm the pastor. I guess I have a different perspective because what she said to me was, that sounds nice. I've been coming since June, and no one said hello to me. <laughs> That's this church. No, 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 no. Gainesville SDA Church. That's our church. My heart broke for her. <laughs> My heart broke for her. Because earlier that year, we had you know, sat down with the with the elders, and like we got some people together, we're planning, like, what are the characteristics that define our church? We're diverse, we're kind, we're this. Right? The kindness could have been for David just to not kill Mephibosheth, and that would have been very kind. We can be a kind church at the front door, right? But like David, we should take it a step further right? The kindness shouldn't stop in the lobby. The love of God shouldn't stop in the lobby. It has to be ingrained in who we are. I'm going to take a step out a little more corporately just to Adventism, a family member of mine. A family member of mine who I am close to, raised in the church, you know, ran away from it, okay? Ran away for a while, had a moment in his life, decided to show back up to a church. But here's the thing, he smelled of uh, alcohol and marijuana. He was wearing clothing that wasn't necessarily appropriate, but for whatever reason, he said, I need to go to church today. And the kind greeter at the door said, nope, not you. Change and come back later. And he has never, ever, ever been back. Kindness is more than, we're just kind to our friends here, right? We're kind to the people we grew up with. It's easy to be kind to the people you already know, well, that's debatable, I guess, but it's easier to be kind to the people 
you already know. There is this thing. Mephibosheth is a perceived enemy, right? By political standards, by people just watching this story, Mephibosheth is a threat to the reign of David. He is the perceived enemy, right? Not only that, this story, despite this being the SGLM Sabbath, this story truly isn't about the disability. It just happens to be part of the story. You know what I mean? The story is about love, kindness, and restoration, and the disability like plays a role, but it's not the story. He's a perceived enemy. We have, in our culture, perceived enemies, right? And we say things, and then our actions speak differently. Or we can say, I want to be a kind, David could say, I want to be a kind king and follow through on my promise. But when he sees that he's crippled, changes his mind. He could have done that. We can say, we want to be a kind church. I'm speaking more corporately now. I'm not going to, I'm not going to come at you guys anymore like that. But we could say we could be a kind church and we could say that we want to do that. We could, we could say that young adults who, by the way, are leaving this church corporately, leaving this church by the busload, okay? I'll put it in perspective. I went to Forest Lake Academy out of a class of 88 Five of us are still like actively going to church. Just act like that's a crazy percentage, by the way. Young adults who we can say that is our focus, that is our group. Okay, now I'll come back to it. we are in Gainesville, Florida. We have the University of Florida right there, and we can say, we can say that we want to do something to make them feel welcome. We want to do something to make them feel that this is their church. We want to do something that says, hey, we are a kind and loving church. But the truth of the matter is, or the perceived truth of the matter might be that, well, the young people are a perceived threat. Why? They have a very different way of doing things. Well, number one, they grew up with phones, and some of you guys didn't. <laughs> it's a different world. There are different challenges. There is, it's a whole different place. And so they do things a little differently. And because it's not normative to what we grew up with, it's a perceived threat. So we say yes, but we push away with the other hand no. I'm speaking corporately, okay? I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to. <laughs> you guys know me. I don't do this often, okay? It, there is a burden in this story of love for Jonathan, love and a promise that was made, kindness to his descendants despite all of the challenges that came with that. But then the last thing is restoration. David restored David restored everything that he had lost. Notice in the story, David could not restore his ability to walk. Okay? Could not restore that. That's something that God will do at the end. But as far as his ability could take him, he restored Mephibosheth to who he was before anything had happened. 
Friends, as we minister to our community, Gainesville, right, the community at large, we are in, God is in the restoration business. He is. There are people, and this, this happens here, people who just walk in off the street. I'll just be sitting in the office and somebody's like, hey, when do you guys meet? I, something hit me in my mind. I need to come back to church. They just walk in and you hear their stories, stories of a need to be restored, a need for reconciliation with their creator, right? That's what this story is ultimately about because love and kindness ultimately lead to restoration. At the end of time, Mephibosheth will walk, right? It says we will be raised imperishable. We're going to be having perfect bodies, right? It's going to be great. No more pain in your knees or your wrists. Nothing. It's going to be great. Mephibosheth will be able to walk. That is for God to do, to fully restore us back to how we were created to be. In the meantime, he has tasked us with an emotional restoration. We need to restore. We need to be a place that allows restoration to happen. It says that Jesus is reconciling the whole world to himself, even our perceived enemies. There's a thing that happens often in the Bible where names will get changed, right? Mephibosheth, that's not actually his name. Did you guys know that? Yeah, some of the scholars say yes. Some of the other people say what? (laughs) His real name, his real name is Mary Ball, or Baal, Mary Baal, right? The reason they didn't want to translate that over is because um, essentially there was a thing of like the authors didn't want to mention Baal. They're like, Baal gets enough attention. If you guys don't know who Baal is, uh, Baal in the Old Testament it just seems to be like the the one that the people are always falling away and going towards, a, a fake god, right? Baal was the, this idol that all the other nations seemed to be worshiping. And every time Israel got out of line, they were messing around, they ended up with Baal. And so that's the enemy. That's the real enemy, right? That's, and so the authors, they say, well, we don't want to give him any more attention. So we're going to change his name to Mephibosheth, right? Do you know what Mary, uh, uh, yeah, so Mary Ball means uh, like opposer to Baal, but they don't want to give him any more recognition. So what they did, the authors did, they named him Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth has a meaning. Does anybody know what it is? No. Mephibosheth means shame destroyed. Right? Because through through the restoration process, Mephibosheth's shame of being the son uh, related to a king who did terrible things, right? The shame of being crippled, the shame of losing everything you had and having to hide was restored in a single act of love. The shame was restored in the keeping of a promise. And I tell you what, Jesus has made every single one of you a promise as well. 
no matter what shame you are holding on to, right? The things you have done, who you were, right? That shame that just weighs you down, you have the ability to say, yes, Jesus, I accept and shed the shame. Your shame is destroyed because of a perfect promise and a perfect love. As we endeavor to be kind, as we endeavor to be loving, as we uh, uh, endeavor to be agents of Jesus Christ here in this community, we can go with the message that your shame is destroyed. There's no, there's no reason for it anymore. Let it go. Leave it at the cross. Come home, right? Come meet Jesus. Let me tell you about who he is, about the promises he's made, because he's made a lot. But the biggest, most important one is that he loves you, so he saved you. Love, kindness, restoration. We can do that, right? Because that same Jesus, right, that same power lives in us now. That's in the Bible. It talks about that, that, that now we can go and be asked to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit to go and be agents for change. We're able to partner with Jesus. That same love and restoration can happen here. Now I'm talking again, Gainesville SDA Church. It can happen here. It can start today, and it can be a regular practice that we do all the time. That's the mission of Jesus. That's what we signed up to do. That's who we are. Let's pray. Our most kind and heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your Sabbath morning. God, thank you for the example of Mephibosheth and David. God, a lot of times the reality is that uh, I feel like Mephibosheth. I feel weighed down by shame. I feel scared. I'm worried about consequences. But God, through your son Jesus, you have shed that shame. You have destroyed that shame. Lord Jesus, please, there is burden in this place today. I know it. You know it. God, please, may your Holy Spirit just flood our hearts, equip us, empower us to finally say yes, Jesus, and shed the shame. God, may we as a church be restored. God, may we be more like you. God, forgive us for the times we've fallen short. We are not perfect. We are human, and we make mistakes. But God, forgive us. May we be more like you. I pray in your son's name. Amen.